In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Six, four, Welcome to episode two of the 643 podcast. I am your host, Dylan Short, brought to you by Dickey Broadcasting Corporation and my good friends at 680, the fan here at the podcast park. So a little disclaimer before we get into the nuts and bolts of today's episode. Uh, Obviously, thoughts and prayers are with Ukraine right now, Um, but this is not a political podcast. This is a sports podcast. There are things that are more important than sports, such as what's going on right now in the Ukraine. But I am not somebody who you are tuning in to hear his political takes. So I am going to focus solely on Braves baseball today. Um, doesn't mean that I'm ignoring what's going on. Just means that I am not the one most well equipped to give th- that type of podcast where I'm talking political sphere or whatever. So we're going to try to do a, a, a good little decent sports podcast today. If it helps you take your mind off of it for a little or helps you uh, kind of focus on something else for a little, all well and good. But we are going to do a moment of silence. So uh, we'll get that out of the way here in just a second. Uh, and then we will get right back into the Braves baseball and what's going on with the CBA. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and do our moment of silence for uh, the Ukraine Okay, so getting to baseball, Uh, the players and the owners have actually been meeting for a fair amount of time. We talked about that on Tuesday, Um, but then it was it was two. It was one step forward and then kind of another two steps back with yesterday's meeting where uh, MLB offered a little bit more for the pre R pool. Uh, Another they seem to be going in increments of of 10 million at a time. Uh, but then they kind of stepped backwards by asking for a, a the asking for a quote unquote impartial mediator again on Tuesday, and the players said no, uh, which not that surprising for anybody that thinks that 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 goes with like the Jim Bowden line of oh it's an impartial mediator why wouldn't you want that Major League Baseball has had lobbying offices in Washington D.C. since 2016. There's no such thing as impartial arbiter when you're talking about one side that physically has lobbying offices in DC that is not an impartial arbiter and that's smart move on the MLBPA on saying no if you want to talk to us you can talk to us owners kind of threw down the gauntlet a little bit yesterday uh, where they now they are saying that if if an agreement isn't reached by Monday that they will be missing games that is the deadline they've set to make it to the regular or to to start regular season games on time and the owners have stated they will not make up any of those games uh personally i think that's a bluff uh they did a lot with the seven inning double headers in 2020 which is another thing that they could do if they do in fact miss games um players have 
have fully stated that there will be no CBA if they do not play 162 games because they do not want prorated salaries. Now, I think they meet in the middle on this. I've been saying this for a little while that I think that this has been a kind of a convenient cover to knock down the number of games in this in the regular season i think that they'll eventually settle on about 150 games maybe 155 but 150 games with the expanded playoffs you can still end at the same time without competing too much with the nfl uh, i think that that's probably the route this is going i think that this is a little bit of a bluff by the owners and i think that this is one area where the players can learn from past mistakes and don't cave on this. This is something where if the players really want to shift the power dynamic and grab a little bit more power, this is a place where they need to stick to their guns. The owners stand to lose more money than the players do. Obviously, if it's multi-billion dollar business and most of that money is concentrated in the owners, then the owners are the ones who stand to lose the most money from not playing games. Uh, This is something where the players need to call that bluff and keep it moving. And then they need to just kind of sit down and and, and really start to get to work on this because they really haven't gotten into the CBT discussions at all. And the competitive balance threshold is a very is, is, if not the biggest deal in the top three of what are the most important things to discuss during the CBA negotiations. Uh, If you want a good breakdown on what the CBT actually is, go to Jeff Passan's Twitter. He did a thread about it yesterday that really lays out very, very well what the CBT is and why players uh, are, are so adamant about it and why owners are so adamant about it on their own side. I'm not going to dig too deep into the CBA stuff today. I still think that uh, that there's some more movement. Hopefully, by the time that we're, we're doing episode three on Tuesday, we'll be able to talk about some substantial talks. I do think that they're going in the right direction. I do still think that you're going to see uh, the season start back later, but I also think that that's kind of going to be by design. I think that a lot of this is going to be kind of a uh, dog and pony show, and I think that both sides will be happier with a shortened spring training and a slightly shortened regular season. If it means more postseason games, you'll get relatively, you won't lose any revenue. If you replace regular season games with postseason games, you'll gain more revenue. So I think that that's, that's something that both sides are going to be, eventually they're going to settle on and be fine with. Um, But that's, that's about all I'm going to do for, for CBA talk today. Now I talked about Freddie Freeman on Tuesday and I want to talk about Ronald Acuna a little bit today. But I do need to talk about Freddie again because there's this kind of notion going around, uh, and it's and I'm mostly on Bra- I'm mostly on Twitter at Dylan X Short. If you are also on and want to follow along, um, but there's this kind of notion. This happens with a lot of Braves fans, and it could be around the league. I'm just obviously more tied into Braves fans um, that if Freddie Freeman walks, he doesn't resign with the Braves. Ah, no big deal. You'll just replace him. You'll just go grab Matt Olson and replace Freddie. Uh, I'm here to tell you, folks, it's not that easy to replace one of the best offensive players in baseball. Freddie Freeman has not had a WRC plus under 130 since 2012. That is a very high WRC plus. That is an excellent, excellent number. And that's nearly impossible to to not only replicate, but to just replace out of nowhere. And we talked about the Matt Olson thing. Uh, on Tuesday, where it's not as simple as saying, yeah, we'll just go get Matt Olson. You have to trade for him, which means you're going to have to deal some really high-end prospects because you're going to have to outbid other teams. And then you've only got him for two years before you're in the exact same boat as you are with Freddie, minus the fact that now you have lost Freddie Freeman, the franchise, the the face of the franchise. Uh, and I had, a, I had a tweet about that on Twitter that's gone, I guess, a, gotten a little bit of notice uh, where I stated that Ronald Acuna is the most talented player on the Atlanta Braves. But the Atlanta Braves are Freddie Freeman's team. And I'm getting a lot of people saying, oh, well, Freddie's a free agent. It's not his team anymore. Or, um, you know, this is Ronald's team. Um, and both of those are, are incorrect. Until Freddie Freeman suits up for another team, this is Freddie Freeman's team. 
Uh, just just the same as it was Chipper's team until Freddie took up the mantle. That didn't happen the season that Chipper retired. It didn't happen the season right after that. It really wasn't until probably 2015 or 2016 that the Braves really became Freddie's team. Like the team being your team is not just you're the best player on that team. There's a lot more that goes into it. Uh, I did an episode of Locked on Braves uh, with Lane Adams last year where we specifically discussed Freddie Freeman and what Freddie Freeman is like in the locker room. And Lane will tell you and Lane has whatever you think about Lane as a player. Uh, Lane is more plugged in than anyone. Lane was physically in the locker room with Freddie Freeman uh, and he would tell you, and so will anybody else on that team, that Freddie Freeman is the unquestioned leader of the Atlanta Braves. Everyone looks to Freddie. Everyone looks to Freddie to, to kind of set the standard, to meet the standard, to, to help when the team's going bad. Like, Freddie's the guy that they turn to, just like Chipper was in his later years. That's not something that you just replace by being the best player. That, that, that's something that you earn. And while I have no doubt that Ronald can be that player, He's also extremely young, and, and to have somebody that young step up and grab that role, that's not exactly an easy thing to do. Uh, and it's not something that you should just be saying, oh, yeah, well, he'll be fine, just throw it on him. Uh, you, you want people to be able to grow into that role, not to have it forced upon them. So that's just another area. That's not Obviously, it's not saying that you go out and you give Freddie $250, $300 million and you drastically hurt yourself. But I don't think that when if you're talking about paying for two bad years of Freddie Freeman, I don't think that's what you're doing. I think it's a little bit of a disingenuous argument. If you pay Freddie Freeman six years and 185 million, you're averaging out to 30 million a season. Now you front load that deal. Let's say you get most of that out of the way early. And his final two years, let's say he's making $25 million. Uh, now, let's say Freddie continues the route that he's going. There have been plenty of players that have had good offensive seasons up to about age 37, which would be five years into Freddie Freeman's supposed six-year deal or seven-year deal if you want to go that route too. But I think it would be six years. Um, so, you know what? Let's let's even take it one step below. Let, let's say you go ages 32 through 34. So for the first four years of a six-year deal. And he gives you Joey Votto's level of production. Now, let's say the Braves win a World Series or, heck, maybe even win two more. You're telling me that winning another World Series or two or possibly two World Series, because it's not like the Braves have a ton of holes in, in the next three or three years to really have to fill in. You're telling me that that's not an even trade for, for two below average seasons, if that, maybe even only one really below average and one one a little bit overpaid season. I don't buy that. I, I, I think the ultimate goal is to win championships. And the more you win, the better your team is, and the better it goes down in history. If you're telling me that I have to sit through, you know, uh, one year, five or six years down the road where Freddie is now a, a subpar player uh, and he's making 25 to $26 million a year for, for one year of being a little bit subpar, fine. If that's the trade-off I get for keeping Freddie Freeman here and, and having – Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, and Austin Riley in the same lineup for, you know, a four-year stretch plus whatever else you add. I'm okay with that. Uh, as far as the idea that that means you can't sign Austin Riley in three years, I don't buy that either. Uh, one, I love what Austin Riley did. It was a fantastic player. He's certainly setting himself up for a big-time payday. Uh, but I do think that some people are, are, are maybe going a little bit overboard with what Austin did. Uh, he had a four-war season, which is an outstanding season. That's essentially what, I'll be all, what Ozzy's been doing, though. Uh, popped off for 135 WRC+. Plus. He's definitely uh, a, a fixture of the middle of the lineup in the future of the Braves' plans. But I don't necessarily think that Austin's getting a $30 million a, a year contract 
when he's a free agent in, or when he's up for a free agency in, in three years. I don't think that's what he's going for. And it's not like you can't backload his deal to coincide with front loading Freddy's. I mean, there, there's there's ways around it. And this is all belaboring the point, And, and I should say not belaboring, but forgetting the point. That it's not like Liberty Media couldn't afford this if they wanted to. This idea that, oh, well, Liberty's too cheap. There's no way they're going to pay it. We don't really have any idea whether they're going to or not. The Liberty Media has, has spent a lot of money on the Braves' salary uh, in 2019. The Braves had, I believe it was $165, $166 million opening day payroll. That was substantially higher than any other year during Liberty Media. It was also the season where the Braves had just made it to the postseason. They went out and they signed Josh Donaldson, and they got back and, and had a really good postseason run. Then you had 2020. A lot of people lost a lot of money, but the Braves were set up to be opening 2020. If, if COVID hadn't gone into play, I think the Braves would have had at least a similar payroll. And then you go into last season with, obviously, the money that everybody lost. The Braves' salary was down a little bit, but it, it wasn't like they just didn't want to go out and, and pay people or whatever. They just, they, they didn't go after sign some of the biggest names on there, but they might not, that might not be what they were doing. They, they spent $11 million on Drew Smiley. It's not like they were trying to cheap out. <laughs> they still spent money. And, and there's nothing to say that Liberty Media doesn't like the windfall profits they get from the battery. So if the Braves stay a good team and you can kind of keep that, that salary range in between 160 and, and maybe even 180, if it can be convinced, it's not like that's, that's, that crazy you're not asking them to pay 200 million to get there there's a lot of things that that you have to do there's there's a lot of gymnastics you have to do to to get to this point where losing freddie freeman is just some drop in a bucket for the braves this idea that just replacing freddie freeman's on-field production is simple that that's not borne out by anything you don't have that many offensive talent like those offensive types of players as freddie freeman it's not as simple as just oh well we'll just go get somebody and plug and play if you're trying if you can't ever count on making a trade because one you have to meet that other team's demands and they can set the terms of that so like if the a's say hey for two years of matt olson i want three i want two top 100 players the Braves don't have a lot of top 100 prospects. So you're definitely going to lose Christian Pache or Michael Harris or Shay Langoliers, two of those three, if you go that route. And that's not something that we've seen Alex be willing to do ever. And I mean ever in his entire tenure, even when he was with the Blue Jays GM. Uh, he traded Daniel Norris, who was a uh, top 20 prospect. He, he traded Matthew Boyd, who was like 16th in their system. So that's a little bit of revisionist history to say, oh, well, Norris and Boyd. Boyd wasn't as highly valued. Uh, he traded uh, Barreto for... Um, uh, in the Josh Donaldson deal. But again, Barreto was a really high prospect, but that was really about it. He traded Jeff Holland in the Troy Tulowitzki deal, but I don't believe Jeff, Hol I don't know if Jeff Holland was top 100, but you're talking about trading one top 100 guy, not trading two. The Braves don't have a lot of top 100 guys. Since the system has graduated so many people, now the system is in the back end of the top, uh, back into the 30 uh, major league farm systems. And you don't really have that type of, of, of prospect talent to deal with to just go get into a bidding war with teams like the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers uh, or even the Padres or the Rays or whoever you don't have that type of, of prospect capital to get into that and then to have to turn around and shell out money in two years down the road or, or play him for a year and then trade him like that's not something that you can do that's going to get you in a mark to share territory very quickly and that's something that you should look to avoid. If all you lose by signing Freddie Freeman is, is one year of Freddie Freeman's money where he's really worth about $3 million and you end up paying him twenty five, that's no different than signing Josh Donaldson to a one-year and $20 million deal and if he had come out and been horrible. 
that's one year. That's one year and done. It's not really hamstringing you because you can, if you get to that point and we get to that year and Freddie Freeman is, is starting to, to drop and now he's looking like he's going to do an Albert Pujols in his final season, okay, that's one year and then he's off the books again. I just, I just don't buy that it's this, this crazy detriment if you get four normal years of Freddie Freeman one slightly declining to where he's above average, but not Freddie Freeman level above average, and then one below. I don't see that. And if you look at Joey Votto's numbers, that's what you look at with Joey Votto. Since Joey Votto hit 32, he's had more seasons of plus 130 WRC plus than below. Uh, he's had two years. One was like 113, and then he had one year that was subpar at like 98, I believe it was. That's it. That's not a bad deal, folks. That's not a bad deal at all. Um, we're talking about Freddie a lot. I actually went a little bit longer talking about Freddie than I really wanted to. Uh, I was going to talk about Ronald Acuna today, but I think I'll push Ronald Acuna on to Tuesday. I think we should have a, a good bit to talk about there. And um, The Freddie thing is, is the most important thing for the Braves right now because it is the first time that the Braves have had a franchise cornerstone player come up for free agency since I can remember. I mean, probably since Andrew Jones, maybe John Smoltz. Um, it, it's been a long time since the Braves have had one of those franchise cornerstone players come up and, and it's a hard thing to navigate I said it on Tuesday that this offseason might be Alex Anthopoulos's hardest offseason as a brave and it's, it's just because there's so much going on sorry about that I've got the dogs down here with me and uh, one of my dogs is a psychopath that likes to get into everything but it, it's a hard offseason to navigate you just won a world series so everything's riding high for now but Public opinion can turn on a dime. And here in Atlanta, we, we will support the heck out of a winner. But a loser or, or, or a team that we feel goes away from what we wanted, it, it, it's, Atlanta fans can be very fickle. Uh, if you, it's, not, it's, not e, it's not hard to lose all of the gains you made in the court of public opinion. It, it's very easy. Like I've said, and like I said, I still don't think there's any way Freddie walks I'll believe that he's with another team when opening day rolls around. He's not wearing a Braves uniform. Um, but I guess if, if the potential's at least there, that, that's a very, very fine line that you're, that you're having a walk if you're Alex Anthopoulos. If you lose Freddie Freeman, you better replace him with a star player that you can kind of right away roll to. You got you to gotta go out and go big, big. And I'm talking like gigantic. Maybe Aaron Judge, uh, Brian Reynolds. Uh, something along those lines, Matt Olson, some some player along with Carlos Correa, which they're, if they're not going to pay Freddie 185 million or 200 million, there's no way they're going to pay Carlos Correa 350 million. So you got to go out there and you got to get a big, big time player. And I just don't know that that's in the cards either. So we'll see how it shakes out. Like I said, I'm still super confident that Freddie's going to be a brave and I'm going to remain confident until, until he's suited up another uniform. If that makes me naive, then fine. Makes me naive. I'd rather believe that and believe that, the guys that have made this team what it is and got it in position to be what it is, that they'll get rewarded. And I don't think that Freddie's asking for a lot. I think he's a better player than Marcus Semyon. I think he's a better bet to stay a better player than Marcus Semyon. So, it, I, I mean, Marcus Semyon's not a young guy either. And Marcus Semyon's really only had two years of outstanding production, along with a couple years of subpar production. He was able to get $200 million. Now you can say, you know, uh, the Braves aren't the Rangers. They don't throw that money around. And, and that's certainly true to a point. The Rangers have a lot of money. All the Texas teams have a lot of money. Um, but the point still stands. If Freddie Freeman is worth 25 to 30 million, then that's what he should get. And the Braves, I'm not going to give them some pass by pretending that Atlanta is a small market. It's only a small market because you try to keep a mid-market payroll. Like, it's not like Atlanta couldn't have a bunch of, uh, couldn't have high payrolls if they wanted to. The name of the game in winning is to consistently have the best players on your team. Freddie Freeman is 
right now, still the best first baseman in Major League Baseball. Maybe Matt Olson takes that crown from him this year. Maybe he takes it from him the year after. I don't know. But right now in 2022, Freddie Freeman is the best first baseman in baseball. And you don't get better by losing the best players at their position. You only get worse. So that's where I'm going to stop that, that talk for today. I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into my minor league segment of the week. And it's going to be a guy that a lot of you have heard me talk about for a number of years, essentially since he's been in the organization. Uh, and it's going to sound really weird for a lot of you guys that I seem to have done a 180 on this prospect. I'm going to explain to you why that's not the case, why it's everyone else who has changed and not me. So don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this, right here on the 643 Podcast. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the 643 Podcast. Hope you enjoyed that little um, minute or so break that we just had. Now, what we're going to do now, instead of focusing on the big league club like we like to do on Tuesdays, today I'm going to introduce what is going to be one of my personal favorite segments, a segment that I've done across any of my shows for years, and that is where I spotlight a minor league player in particular. And today I'm going to spotlight a guy who has had his name prominently displayed in the Brave system since he joined it. He's a homegrown guy by way of Etowah High School, uh, was, was all set to go play at the University of Georgia before being drafted in the second round. Uh, he helped get one GM canned and got the Braves Alex Anthopoulos, so you can thank him almost directly for your World Series title if you want to go that route. Uh, it is Drew Waters, one of the most polarizing prospects in the Braves system, and he has been for pretty much since he came in, although now, he's, now it, it, it's kind of flipped for me. If you know me at all and you followed me for the last you know three or so years, then you know that traditionally I've been one of the low guys on Drew Waters that when it was between Waters and Pache as to who was the best outfield prospect in the system, I was Team Pache. I'm still Team Pache. I think that it's ridiculous to write these guys off at 22, 23 years old just because Ronald Acuna was a superstar at that age. That's not the norm. It's not all that common. They haven't been in the system long. Drew Waters has been in the system for four seasons just about. Uh, 2017, I should say, not 2018. He's been in the system for for five years you can say but didn't play in 2020 so i counted as four years in the system came in at 18 years old as otherworldly natural gifts he doesn't have an area on the ball field that he can't perform well but there are things about his game that needed adjustment and it's a credit to drew that it took until triple a before teams were able to actually focus on the things that he needed to make adjustments to that's the type of talent he was. It's, he got to AAA at 20 years old, for God's sakes. Not just because, you know, he, he's an incredible talent. It's not, like, it's not like these holes weren't there in his game getting up to it. It's just that he was so talented that it took until AAA level for other teams to be able to, to focus on those areas he needed to make adjustments. You're talking about a guy that, that won an MVP uh, in, in 
Double uh, A, which was Mississippi, where we just crowned Shea Langliers as one of the top three or four prospects because, really, because of how he performed in Mississippi. And Drew Waters posted a 144 WRC plus in Mississippi, a notoriously difficult place to hit. Drew is a guy that has an outstanding set of tools in that toolbox. He's a true center fielder, and if you didn't have Christian Pache in the system, Drew Waters would be without a doubt considered your center fielder of the future. He hits the ball harder than just about anybody else in the minor leagues. Uh, he's a switch hitter. He's a big frame, 6'2", 185. Like I said, he's closer to 200, 210. Uh, hits, has elite bat speed, elite hand speed, and he has an ability to use his hands very, very well. Now, there's there's a few things that he needs to work on a lot that separates him from being the truly elite prospect that he was for, for a lot of his tenure coming up, what had him in the top 40 in top 100s uh, a couple seasons ago and now landed him out of the top 100 which I think it's stupid by the way I think people are really undervaluing what it meant to lose the 2020 uh, the 2020 season for a lot of these minor leaguers not just Waters but Pache as well uh, but but Waters in particular it seems like with the rise of Michael Harris people have just now started labeling Drew Waters a bust and to me that's absolutely stupid if you compare the two players I mean I, I love Michael Harris as a prospect. We're going to talk about him, too, because he deserves to be talked about a lot. The front office is super excited about him. Scouts are very excited about, about Michael Harris and what he can potentially be. But when you stack the two players up side by side, Drew Waters has unequivocally had the better start to his career. Drew Waters has been a triple-A at a time when Michael Harris was in A-ball. And if you just compare their A-ball numbers, there's no comparison. Drew Waters was the better of the two players. Uh, Drew Waters has been an outstanding talent. It just feels like he's been around a long time because he's been so prominent in, in Braves fans' minds since he came into the organization. Now, that's not to say that he's a perfect prospect. There's a lot of things he needs to work on. Uh, and you're seeing those come off. You're seeing him start to work on those things. They just aren't producing the, the stat line numbers that are going to make those things pop. But like I said, process over results is how you handle minor leaguers. You don't scout stat lines when you're looking to see how minor leaguers are performing. If you had done that, then you would have thought that Waskar Anoa was awful. You would think that Tucson has been nothing but garbage the whole time through the minor leagues. You would think that a lot of these players that came up and performed well, you'd be wondering where this came from. And a lot of the minor league systems and, and minor league seasons, you go into the season focusing on certain adjustments. And for Drew, you've seen some of those that are very important that just aren't being talked about. First things first, incremental gains, small gains, those are still gains, and you shouldn't write those off as saying, oh, well, he didn't make any improvement at all, when he very much did. The thing on Drew going all the way through is, is incredible aggressiveness at the plate. It's a good thing and a bad thing. You like aggressive players. Uh, players that, that, enter, that, that play like Drew Waters, who Drew is the closest mentality to Chipper Jones that has been in this prospect system since Chipper Jones. When Drew Waters steps foot on the baseball field, he knows that he is the most talented player on the field, regardless of who is opposing him, regardless of who else is on his field, he knows that he is the most talented player. Now, that doesn't mean that he actually is all the time, but he fully believes that he is, and that is a very important thing for players. You need that to get over the struggles and to keep yourself going when times are getting tough. Uh, but that does lead to things like what he is, which is incredibly, incredibly aggressive. This is something that you see with a lot of young players, especially guys who have the natural talents uh, of a Drew Waters. Ozzie Albies was the same exact way. And remember that because it's a very important point. When you're looking at Drew, one of the things that you point out is, is the crazy BABIP numbers. That's batting average on balls in play. Now, Drew has had batting at, or on BABIPs of 417, 409, 362, 363, 436, 430, uh, 429, and 341. 
most of those being unsustainably high. Why does he have those? Because like I said, he's one of the best in the minors at hitting the ball hard. He's also an extreme line drive hitter. When you have a linear swing, which just means that you don't have loft on it, meaning you're, you're basically primed for line drives, naturally, your batting average on balls in play is going to be higher. You're more likely to, to be successful hitting line drives than you are ground balls or fly balls, unless you have the power to send most of those fly balls out. It's a, it, it, it's a normal thing. That's why for... For many, 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 many years, most of you growing up, you were told the best swing that you can put is a line drive right up the middle because it's most likely to result in a hit. Now, adding loft is the best way, is, is actually the way to get the best outcome, which is to hit the ball over the fence so that no one can make a play on you. But those are things that come along with time. And Drew getting older, maturing physically, starting to add strength to his frame, one of the things that, that people were waiting to see was to see the, the doubles and the triples transform into home runs. And that, you know, ideally it was add strength to his frame and add loft to his swing. Uh, there, there's so much power. There's so much bat speed and so much hand speed and so much hard contact off of his bat. You're talking about a guy who has had exit velocities of 112 plus miles an hour in the minor leagues, which is very difficult to do. Uh, bat speed and hand speed and hard contact are very good indicators for a player being successful. It's not often that players fail having those types of, of, of numbers. It's very rare. Shocking, shockingly, hitting the ball harder than everyone else generally means that you're going to do better things with the bat. Uh, not that surprising. So you were looking at, at things like his power. So his ISO, which is isolated power, that's extra base hits, uh, extra base hits and homers. 2019, his first taste of AAA was a 103. That's very low for a guy that had a 429 bat and hits the ball as hard as Drew Waters. There's a lot of singles in there, not a lot of extra base hits, no real power. He had five homers, or he had two homers in that campaign. Now it was only 26 games. So you can't completely just look at it that way. But in his double-A time, he, he had 108 games, 400 and about 455 plate appearances, only had five homers. Tons of extra base hits. He had a, a good enough for an ISO of 162. Uh, had eight triples in 2019. But the, the, the home run power, the over-the-fence power was lacking. And he was a really big splits player where... You have him facing, you have him on the left side of the plate, which would be a heavy side platoon in the majors, and he was crushing the ball, basically a superstar level talent, uh, a ridiculously talented hitter from the left side of the plate, really bad as a right-handed hitter. Very, very below average what you wanted to see from a hitter right side. Think Ozzy Albies, where there was ideas coming up and even into a lot of last year about whether or not Ozzy should just drop hitting left-handed and just hit right-handed. It's a little bit on the opposite side with Drew being more lefty than righty, but... Uh, but what you saw last year, and this is something that I haven't heard anybody else talking about, but is a very, very good sign. Last season, he was actually better from the right side than the left side, substantially. This is not a norm for Drew Waters. Drew Waters is a natural left-handed hitter. Drew Waters, as a lefty, if, if, you were to t if the Braves wanted Drew to come up and just be a platoon guy, he could have come up already and just been used against right-handed pitchers. He was that level of talented left-handed. But it was always the right side that was lagging behind. Last year, he had more power from the right side. He had way better on base averages. And all of his numbers were, were better right-handed than left-handed, which leads you to believe that it was just an off year from him versus right-handed pitching. It happens sometimes. You see it happen all the time. Sometimes you just don't perform as well from one side of the plate. The good news is that his numbers right-handed skyrocketed, which is a gigantic good thing for his, for his value as a full-time player. 
And that's what you're looking to go for. If you're looking for a guy to come out and, and be a star level type of player. And I don't know that Drew is a superstar at the big league level, but he certainly has loud enough tools to be that way. If he can overcome some of his other issues. One of those other issues was the aggressiveness. He was a guy that was going to swing at a lot of things. His pitch recognition needed work. I don't know if it was his pitch recognition or his patience. I think it's more of his patience at the plate where strikeouts have been a big deal. 2019, you saw twenty about 27% K rate in AA that jumped to 36% at AAA. That's the first. That's where you can tell the first taste he's getting of major league breaking balls. Struck out a lot. There's a lot of swing and miss there. Now, his walk rate jumped from AA to AAA, went from 6.2 to 9.2%. Um, and that's the thing. If you're going to strike out a lot, you need to walk in the double digits to offset that. And what did Drew do last year at AAA, his first full season at AAA? Jumped to a 10.2% walk rate. Now, I'd love to see it get to 13 or 14%. I think that would be incredible. But a double-digit walk rate's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, his, his K rate was high, about 31%. But it's a 5% decrease from what it was his first taste of AAA. That's a good sign. His home run, his power output, his over-the-fence powers, uh, jumped to 11 home runs last year, the most that he has hit in any single season in his minor league career. That's a good sign. Scored 70 runs. Stole 28 bags. He's a fast player who knows how to run bases. His ISO jumped from 103 in 2019 at AAA to 141. That's a good sign. His BABIP was 341. That is eminently sustainable for any player. That's actually lower than what you'd expect to see from a player that hits the ball as hard as Drew Waters. If he has a 341 BABIP and his left-handed hitting goes up to normal, then you're going to see a guy with really good numbers. He hit 240, 329, 381. So the slugging percentage was still kind of low. The wobble, the weighted on base average was 321, which is, you know, lower than what it's been through most of his career. But that was good for a 94 WRC plus. That's lower than what you want to see from a guy, particularly a Drew Waters, who there's still kind of an idea that he might be uh, eventually moved to left field, which he could if he puts on weight. Drew is still such... He's such a malleable type of, of young man. If the Braves think of him as a center fielder, then they're not going to want him to pack on a whole bunch of muscle. But if they decide they want him to move to a corner, it's not out of the realm of possibility that you see him end up at 215, 220. He's got the athleticism to be able to carry that. He's high-waisted, so I don't know exactly how, how stacked he can be, but you could certainly see him get to that type of level. You could see him do kind of a Christian Yelich routine where he starts trading the line drives for, for some more power. Now, I don't know that he'll be you know, seven war type of Christian Yelich. But there are a lot of players that you can see that there's the the potential for him to get to this type of level. And it's all going to be, it, it's going to depend a lot on, on his development as far as his, his selectivity at the plate. Rather than thinking, okay, I can make contact with this pitch, so I should make contact with this pitch. The ability to, to take a strike because it's not in the location that you can do the most with it and to understand that you have three strikes to play with that's something that's easy to understand from a mental aspect. It's very difficult to apply that in practice, especially when you have traits that are ingrained in you. And a lot of those, a lot of what makes you so talented is being that aggressive. It's way too early to throw in the towel on Drew Waters. When you look at him right now, it's a very, very similar profile to Ozzy Albies when Ozzy was in the minors. Very similar. Now, there's a lot more swing and miss in Drew's game than there was to Ozzy's. But at this point in their respective careers, there's a lot more power to Drew's game than there was to Ozzy's. I mean, Ozzy at the big league level hitting 24 to 30 home runs now, that is not something that anybody expected to see from Ozzy until he really started changing his swing. That's one thing that maybe you see Drew start to really adjust his swing, and if he does make real swing adjustments to add more loft, 
you're going to see some swing and miss upticks until he really starts to dial it in. It's really hard to go from a linear swing to a lofted swing right off the bat and see immediate gains. That's not all that common. You, you have to work on things, and the minors is where you start to work on those. But it's the patience and the pitch recognition that's going to determine his, his overall outcome. Ceiling, if he can cut that K rate down and have it be, I don't know, this, this might be shooting for the stars, but even a 25% K rate, there's Brian Reynolds type of upside here. And Brian Reynolds, I've said, I said this on Tuesday, Reynolds is, is one of the quietest superstars in baseball. He doesn't get talked about nearly enough. He's a five-word type of player who's just entering his prime. There's that level of upside for Drew Waters if he can cut that K rate down. I don't know that he'll get it. I don't know that he'll cut his K rate down to, to actual Brian Reynolds levels. Uh, but there's there's certainly the the capability, the hand speed, the hand eye coordination, the the bat speed overall, and his ability to use his hands effectively to meet the ball and adjust. If he can ever consistently figure out recognizing off speed pitches, having a Brian Reynolds season, which is 24 homers, 90 RBI. Um, now now I, I would say Brian closer to Brian Reynolds from 2019 as opposed to this last year. Brian Reynolds had an 18.5% K rate this last year. That's not something you'll see from Drew. But something like a, I don't know, like a 3.0, like let's say having an OBP of 360. That, that's not out of the realm of possibility. Ozzy Albee's level of seasons are not out of the range of possibility for Drew Waters. He has that type of talent. He has that type of, of physical ability. It's just going to be, can he adjust his approach? He made really good strides at that last year. And it's just about to see where he can carry it over. He's a hard one to comp because there's definitely, if, if he's ever under 25% K rate or strikeout percentage, then I will, I will truly be floored and truly be shocked. But could he be a, a, 20, a 20 to 26 home run type of guy uh, with, with 26% strikeout rate? Yeah, absolutely he could. If he, is he a guy that could, have, that could offset that K percentage by upping his walk rates? Yes, he could. If if he can even get to a, a twelve or thirteen percent walk rate, even with a you know twenty six percent K streak, if he's got if he gets to fourteen percent on his walk rate and twenty six percent on his K rate, you're talking about somebody that when Bryce Harper did that in twenty nineteen, you were talking about a three seventy two OBP. Now he doesn't have the Bryce Harper type of power. I don't think he's a guy, at least as he's constructed now, he's not a guy that's a thirty to thirty five home run monster. But he's a guy that's going to give you tons of doubles and triples the way he is right now and, and certainly can give you 20 home runs. Now with the added caveat of if this is him right-handed from now on, if last season he really put in that work and that's him right-handed from now on, his left hand, his, his hitting from the left side is going to go up next year. That, that was an aberration. That is not the norm for Drew Waters. And if he's able to keep, if that right-handed was not an, aber, was not an aberration and that's what he is right-handed now, you're talking about a whole different level of Drew Waters. If you're telling me that he can be his normal superstar from the left side and be, I don't know, 113 to 115 WRC plus from the right side, that is Brian Reynolds. Even if the, even if the strikeouts are higher, that's Brian, levels, Brian Reynolds' ability from both sides of the plate. That's like Cattell Marte levels, even though Cattell Marte doesn't strike out. That's what makes it so hard to comp Drew Waters, is there is a lot more strikeouts in his game than a lot of these other players that he kind of profiles similarly as. Strikeout-wise, he profiles very similarly to a big-time power hitter, but that's not the way that he plays his game. He's a very odd one to compare to. You'd almost want to compare his strikeout rates to high-level power hitters which that would be a detriment. Well, if you're not going to hit 30 home runs, I don't want to see UK at that rate. And I get that part of it too. 
But if you're getting on base at a, at a good enough clip and he has the extra base hits ability to where maybe instead of it's 35 homers, maybe it's 20 homers, maybe it's 40 doubles, and maybe it's seven or eight triples. I mean, that's still giving you that same type of power output. That's an incredibly valuable player. I think he's more of a center fielder than he's a corner outfielder, but the book hasn't been written on Drew Waters. Could he be a bust? Absolutely. I mean, that 30% K rates are, are not people that generally work out, but it's not, I don't think he's Kang at 30% just because that's that he just can't make contact with the ball. I think it's his over aggressiveness at the plate. I think that's, that's the thing that the Braves have been working on him with. And that's the thing that he's going to have to work on the most. You got to admit when you need to adjust and for young players like drew, that can be the hardest thing to do. I'm not throwing in the towel on drew waters. I think it's crazy that he's not a top 100 prospect anymore. And I don't think any of you should throw in the towel on him either. Drew waters is a guy that I firmly believe that this year you will see some market improvements. Once he starts hitting better from the left side again, like he, normally does you're going to see drew make some big time leaps and people are going to be thinking that or people are going to be asking whoa what happened to Drew waters nothing happened you're just seeing process over results and i went way longer in that segment than i was supposed to but it's something that i feel very strongly about uh, so i'm going to go ahead and end the episode there thank you guys for tuning in hopefully you enjoyed that segment normally our minor league profiles are going to be about 10 to 15 minutes long they're not generally going to be 20 minute go-getter segments so thank you guys for tuning into episode two we'll be back again on tuesday for episode three break hopefully we'll have good news from the cba but thank you guys so much hopefully you enjoyed today's episode we'll be back thank you and we'll be back another day here on the 643 podcast <laughs> That's all, folks. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.